People had a lot to say. This is Shani Barracks-Moore, the Director of Diversity and Inclusion in UNT's Division of Institutional Equity and Diversity. With the data analysis expertise of graduate student Zara Kalaf, who has a PhD in psychology from Malaysia and is completing a second master's at UNT in women's and gender studies, the two combed through the feedback generated from UNT's Campus Inclusion Climate Survey. The results of the 2018 survey were recently disclosed, and along with multiple choice questions, thousands of respondents shared their thoughts via open-ended comments. From a Black student. Um, oh, I wanted to say that. Yes, you please go on. Yeah. Okay. Educate yourselves about power, privilege, and oppression. Stop patting yourselves on the back when you're just being decent. Put pronouns on posters. Hire more people of color professors. I'm tired of white people talking to me as if they can, quote unquote, educate me. It's a colonizer dynamic. Here's another from a white male respondent. I feel as though our campus has a habit, not unlike most college campuses, of adamantly supporting diversity on principle rather than merit. It often feels as though there is a great sense of misplaced righteousness. Zara, which one did you have? Uh, actually, I wanted to mention the part that uh, students have uh, come with a, you know, uh, understanding of diversity in, in UNT and they believe that UNT is very diverse and that's why they chose to enroll in UNT. And when they come in and they say, they feel like, you know, diversity doesn't mean inclusion. And that's what makes tools like the Campus Inclusion Climate Survey so important. It's a chance for the university to capture the perspective of a broad array of its students, faculty, staff, and administrators related to diversity, equity, and inclusion that will serve as a blueprint for future initiatives. The 2018 survey was UNT's first, with Moore leading the effort and Zara analyzing and providing context to the data as well as determining the best way to use the data to facilitate intentional inclusion. An overview of the results was presented via webinar on October 12th, in which Moore and Vice President of Institutional Equity and Diversity, Joanne Woodard, delved into some of the key takeaways. As a result of the survey, which will likely be administered again in another three years, divisions and colleges across UNT have formed diversity and inclusion councils to create action plans based on the data specific to their unit. Moore also is working with divisions and organizations across the university to create focus groups to better understand what led to the responses. On this episode of UNT Pod, join me, Erin Kristalis, as I talk with Moore and Zara about the importance of climate inclusion surveys, some of the most surprising findings, and the ways in which UNT plans to use the results to create a more inclusive, equitable campus. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience with the Campus Inclusion Climate Survey. Shani, I know that UNT Vice President for Institutional Equity and Diversity, Joanne Woodard, has said that the climate survey is your baby, um, that it was handed to you upon your arrival to UNT in 2016, and that you hit the ground running. 
For those who may be unsure, can you explain what the Campus Inclusion Climate Survey is along with its importance and how one goes about planning and executing a survey of this breadth? Um, for the purposes of climate surveys, it's really getting an understanding of people's lived experiences through policies, programs, and practices of, of an, any sort of entity. Um, and um, climate surveys historically are different from engagement surveys like Gallup in that they really focus on the identity-based experiences of groups of people. And so we used the viewfinder tool, which viewfinder is, um, is a product of uh, Insight into Diversity magazine, and it's based upon their criteria for the HEAT Award, the Higher Education Excellence and Diversity Award, which UNT has been a recipient of um, since the arrival of our Vice President, Joanne Woodard. Um, and, and the thing about this, the great thing about this Campus Inclusion Climate Survey, from my purview, particularly as someone who's done this for a number of different institutions, is that it was customizable. The, the surveys had a number of different sections that spoke to specific identities. So there was a section on veterans, on LGBTQIA, on people of color, on international folks, and uh, people with disabilities. Not only did we have these specific sections for folks, but one of the things that Zara did is that she was able to really do a great job of disaggregating the results, because when you get the results, you only get them overall. And the reality is when you're looking at the data overall, it looks like there's no there there. But it's, it's, in, it's only until you realize that in order to get the voices of those who are marginalized, you have to go look for those voices within the data. This was an initiative that had broad engagement from divisions across the university that had input in um, the, the survey strategy in which surveys we decided to use. So um, I think hopefully that's something that will make people feel confident in the survey results. Um, and, and I also wanna to speak to the fact that even though we did the survey in 2018, uh, I think you know recent events would suggest that diversity, equity, and inclusion is still quite relevant. Right, and many of the findings um, corrobor have corroborated with things that have happened just in the last couple of months even. Do you have an idea as to whether the overarching results of the survey are in line with institutions comparable in size and demographics to UNT? Yeah, so one of the benefits of, of using the viewfinder tool is that um, it's used by other institutions across the country. Um, the challenge is finding a peer institution that is much like UNT that has used the tool um, to, to be able to compare apples to apples. Um, so um, I know that we're, we were one of the first institutions to use all four of the tools, and we were the first institution to um, translate our staff survey to Spanish. Um, so we, we have not benchmarked the data against other institutions, but I think Zara's got some insight on how our results actually corroborate with the research and the literature out there about, about diversity, equity, and inclusion in higher education. 
Yes, well, um, before going to the literature, I just want to have uh, something on our uh, analysis process, which is very important because I've got some uh, uh, questions that how the data was analyzed and I'd like to explain it. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all, you know, I should say that uh, it was not just only me uh, who analyzed data. I was guided by Dr. Jason Simon throughout the, the long process of data analysis. And as you know, uh, he is the UNT Associate Vice President for Data Analytics and Institutional Research. From the start, he guided us on cleaning, sorting, and uh, recording the data, and also the statistical tests that we, uh, we would run to generate the results. Uh, and the collected sample was, I can say that was a good representative of the UNT ethnic and racial uh, diversity. And according to what you can see in the response rate tables, we have a good response rates uh, from all uh, ethnic groups. So uh, you, you can see that from African-American, Hispanic, Latin, ex, uh, Asian-American and Caucasian whites, we have a good number of them who participated in the research, but only the sample that we have a few number of them is Native Americans. So uh, for this research, we mainly use SPSS software to analyze the data and we ran a combination of descriptive and inferential statistics to draw the results. That's why I can say that we are quite confident in terms of the results we have uh, got from the data. But going back to Shani's uh, point on if uh, this research, our results corroborating with any results, any research uh, in other institutions. So uh, we don't have uh, benchmarking data from any institutions, but there are a lot of research from other uh, institutions that they have taken this kind of uh, surveys. For example, I got a research from University of Denver who conducted the research on the experience of the students of color at the graduate level. And the participants reported that they had experienced isolation, marginalization, racism, and feelings of frustration and lack of mentorship you know, throughout their education. Uh, there's another research I can refer to is uh, from a, a university, an HSI institution, an HSI designated institution in Arizona. I should mention here for those who may not be aware, HSI means Hispanic Serving Institution, a designation UNT received this year, along with also being designated a minority serving institution. This, this is quite recent. It, is, it has been done in 2020. Uh, and to show that uh, HSI designation itself doesn't guarantee students academic success. And HSI designation also does not eliminate the experience of inequalities by Hispanic students. And the finding of this research indicated that um, Hispanic students do not feel respected and valued in university. Another quick note. While this was the finding at another HSI institution, in the case of UNT's Campus Inclusion Climate Survey, it's important to note that the majority of Hispanic Latinx students who responded to the survey did not report feeling aggregately marginalized overall. They also perceived that university administration does not understand the needs of Hispanic students and this research provides insights on the lack of culturally sensitive approaches uh, in universities. And there are quite a number of other reports from different universities that uh, I can confidently say that our results corroborate with the body of research that exists in the literature. 
Were there any results that you found especially surprising from the survey? Uh, actually, there were quite some, but uh, one of the uh, results that I was surprised was the uh, identity-based dichotomy between the races, especially between uh, people of color, student of color, and all people of color, actually faculty of color or staff of color, and um, uh, uh, Caucasian whites, especially the male Caucasian whites. So uh, at the same time that our people of color that they uh, you know, experience marginalization based on their race, but uh, at the same time we have uh, you know, the other poll uh, from Caucasian white, especially male Caucasian white, that they believe that they are marginalized based on their uh, Christian uh, religious beliefs and political beliefs. And uh, they, they, they believe that they are marginalized as uh, minority, even though you know, in terms of the number of population, they are majority, but they feel that they are uh, marginalized and it seems that the university is more liberal now and is not open to conservative uh, political views or religious views. So that was quite surprising that, surprising that we have two, you know, we had a dichotomy of two different poles that they have two different, you know, views in terms of uh, their experience in uh, UNT. And, and, and I, there were a couple of other things that, that, I, that I found surprising. You know, it's a, this is a different question than, than some of the overall themes. But for me, um, that across all um, constituent groups, um, both faculty, staff, students, and administrators, that um, are members of our, of our UNT community that have disabilities, do not want to share their disabilities to receive accommodations um, because of the stigma attached um, to them having a disability. Um, another thing that came up, and, and I know this um, anecdotally and also just statistically, that our um, fastest growing um, type of disability among our students is mental health. And you know, our students, a couple of students, there were several student um, comments talking about need for more counseling services for students. Um, and there aren't any for employees. I mean, for employees, we have the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program. We don't have any um, counseling um, um, services on campus, but students said loud and clear that, um, that uh, we needed more counseling services. And then the thing that was really surprising to me is that a lot of people, um, and again, this is across faculty, staff, students, and administrators, said that they don't report instances of harassment, discrimination, and bias because they don't think anything's gonna happen. Um, and so one of the things that um, we have started doing is just going, when in doubt, just report it. But what, we're, what we found though in the data is that a lot of people, interestingly, more so administrators who have the highest um, rank of positional power than anyone else, fear retaliation. So, you know, there may be some correlation between people not reporting and a fear of retaliation from whether it's their supervisor, their department, um, from the institution um, for reporting instances of harassment, discrimination, and bias. You know, one of the things that was prevalent was bullying. But we don't have a policy that speaks to bullying, you know, and a lot of behaviors 
that would be described as bullying. And I'll just speak from my perspective. I've experienced some of those myself. Um, they, they don't rise to the level of um, harassment, discrimination, or bias in our policies. So that's exactly why we have talked about maybe we need to have, whether it's a civility code, or I've actually started researching kind of what's out there to see what we could do so that, you know, just because it's not breaking the law doesn't mean that it's not creating a climate um, of exclusion. Well, clearly, I mean, when you have a campus of nearly 41,000 students and 4,600 faculty and staff members, there's going to be a diversity of needs that exist. How do you try to best support a community that brings with it such a vast array of experiences and expectations? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think um, this campus inclusion climate survey was a good start in that, for example, one of the things that we heard loud and clear from all different constituents is that our um, African-American and Black community is feeling far more marginalized than any other demographic group. And um, I, I think one of the things that we need to do is to listen to the voices <laughs> of our campus community. You know, that um, we, we went to the trouble to do this survey and there is a diversity of needs and you support a community by listening to them and by addressing their needs and by not, you know, many of our African-American and black students said that they experienced more microaggressions um, compared to other folks. Our, our president, President Smotrask required diversity and inclusion training for all employees now. And so one of the things that we're training on is microaggressions, you know, based upon, for example, you know, some of the, the findings that we got from the survey. Um, we're also doing a lot more sessions on bias awareness because a lot of um, these experiences have to do with implicit bias um, so that people are more aware of their implicit biases. So, so what, I, what I would say to that is that you best support the community by, by acknowledging that differences exist, by moving out of that 20, 20th century paradigm of colorblindness or difference blindness, because that's just as marginalizing as doing nothing at all. And, and really that, that colorblindness and difference blindness is basically a way to not do anything um, and just say, well, we're all the same, nothing to see here. Um, but, I, but I think that's why we have a multicultural center. That's why we have a Pride Alliance. That's why we have um, employee resource groups like the Black Professional Network, Black Faculty Network, UNITE. We just started, we just had our first meeting yesterday, a um, neurodiversity um, professional network for employees who um, like myself who identify as neurodiverse. So I, I think the way you do it is you affirm, not celebrate, but affirm individual identities so that people feel respected and valued and seen um, rather than just saying, I mean, yes, we are all one big mean green family, but the reality is that everybody in the family is not experiencing, is not having the same experiences. Well, according to the survey, and I, I know um, actually you've both touched on a few of these results, but according to the survey, students and employees overall believe that UNT is least welcoming to undocumented students and non-Christians. White men, however, believe that UNT is less welcoming to Christians. 
white and Hispanic Latinx students believe that UNT is more welcoming to all groups and Asian American students believe UNT is less welcoming to Asian Americans and international employees and students. How do you try to reconcile these very different perspectives when it comes to developing ideas and initiatives to best serve the UNT community moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to what I was saying before, before that we have to validate all of these experiences. You know, when we talk about microaggressions, one part of microaggressions is micro invalidations. Um, so by not validating the lived experiences of our students and doing it with intentionality, then we're missing an opportunity to reconcile all of those differences. And there's an awareness continuum that we use um, in a lot of our trainings that sort of talks about moving out of ignorance and oblivion and willful oblivion. Because um, I think sometimes there's there, there can be intentional willful oblivion um, to not necessarily address some of these things. But if we move into the reality that, that identity-based differences do exist and they influence people's lived experiences, right? And, and if we can move beyond tolerance, um, you know, I call tolerance the T word. It's like a wince word for me because by not doing anything, what you ultimately end up doing is tolerating each other. Um, and then we're just kind of barely interacting as opposed to moving beyond tolerance to understanding, but it's a catch 22 because often we get people who, when, when we do these kinds of events, you know, the Multicultural Center and Pride Alliance and a lot of other places, you often get people who are already involved with identity-based efforts that engage rather than those people who don't have a clear awareness of the impact and the relevance of their identities. Um, I think for employees, now that we have mandatory diversity and inclusion training, that, that's going to help over time. Um, and students now have to take an online training upon coming into the university, but there's no expectation that they necessarily continue to engage intentionally with difference once they come to, to UNT. It's really more optional. And so we really have to take a look at our curricula, both our co-curricula and express curricula to begin embedding these efforts into institutional policies, programs, practices, and people. Um, and really to, to make sure that we are having these conversations and opportunities for engagement throughout the collegiate experience for our students. Um, and regardless of who you are, regardless of what your background is, Zara, did you have any thoughts on that? I think you're complete. You have mentioned everything. Okay. <laughs> yes. I know in the webinar you mentioned that, for example, many white male respondents said they didn't see a reason to do diversity and inclusion training. How or do you diversity try and inclusion anything? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, and I just I wonder how daunting is it to not just try to do, you know, to launch these initiatives, but to also have to overcome these attitudes of do we even need to do them? Yeah, you know, one of the things we call that in our office is the privilege of oblivion. That, you know, when you are not experiencing marginalization every day on a day-to-day -day basis, that sometimes comes in the form of never having a faculty member that looks like you ever, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> you can relate to that, Zara, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean and, and that's something that, Unless, you know, there's another thing that we say in, in the office is proximity breeds empathy, 
And so I was just having a conversation with a new friend of mine that I made at a training I just did this week. <laughs> you know, we've been chatting with each other um, ever since we did the training. And he's a white male that works at UNT. And he admitted, he's like, I have to admit that, you know, we live, a lot of us live in bubbles. And, you know, we're not really making it a point to really understand the experiences of other people. And just because your lived experience is one way does not mean that that's everyone's lived experience. Having done this work for, a, uh, for as long as I have, it's been about 20 years now, I think a lot of people who don't regularly experience marginalization think that it's a zero sum game. That if I focus on you, then it's taking away something from me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's time for us to realize that if we are going to continue to grow and, and to be a minority serving institution, we have to start retrofitting our policies, programs, and practices for the people that we have here now. Yes, and I'd like to add something else, which is on awareness. You know, sometimes people are not aware of their own biases and prejudice. Uh, and it's important for all to you know, participate in, in di diversity trainings. For example, you, know, you may see, or I, I maybe, you know, I have heard or some other people, some other students um, might have uh, had this experience that somebody, some faculty, for example, uh, they may say that, for example, you are the smartest girl, you know, a smartest uh, girl student I have ever seen in my classes. So, you know, uh, the faculty might have a good intention of, you know, giving a compliment, but it implies a, a, a you know, sexist comment that, you know, basically girls are not smart, you are the smartest girl. In terms of saying that, for example, you are the smartest students I've ever seen in my classes, or you are the smartest black student I have ever had in my classes. So these kinds of, you know, conversations of sometimes are, you know, with good intentions. And the thing is that our faculty, our staff, or even students are not aware of the message, you know, that implies behind this message, the, you know, their intention. So that's why I think sometimes people are unaware because they, are, they have good intentions, but they are unaware of the way they are conveying their messages. So that's why, you know, these training are not just, you know, based for, you know, formality purposes. It's very important for us to know how our conversation with people make them feel about themselves and their identity. Can you talk a little bit more about the focus groups that you're hoping to assemble and maybe a little bit too about what you're hoping to, to get from those and maybe even how they'll inform some initiatives moving forward? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things um, that uh, you pointed out some of the, some of the data points that were um, some of the key takeaways. So say, for example, I mentioned that um, our African-American community, faculty, staff, students, and administrators spoke out the most and indicated a lot of their dysfunction with the UNT climate. And, you know, we have a number of different open-ended comments um, related to that um, from our students saying that they, that they want um, more faculty of color, um, from, um, um, again, people with disabilities um, from our Hispanic and Latinx um, students and employees who 
some who feel like that um, focusing on racial differences only makes them more, more apparent and who also think that we should not be talking about diversity and inclusion. So what we're hoping to do is to take some of these open-ended comments and share them in these focus groups with many of, of, of these particular groups that expressed um, these perspectives and find out more about them. You know, talking to our partnering, say for example, with the Office of Disability Access and maybe identifying some students with disabilities to hear some of their experiences related to um, being a student with a disability and how those accommodations or how your specific disability is treated. Talking to white males, like I will not be facilitating that discussion, um, but we want to find say some white males, for example, who would be, and, and will probably go into some of our diversity and inclusion councils and our campus inclusion um, climate survey planning committee and some of those other resources that we have to have folks facilitating these focus groups by them and for them so that people feel more comfortable. Like, I don't think people are gonna tell diversity lady why diversity and inclusion shouldn't exist. <laughs> they may, um, but um, they may not. So expanding our capacity to be able to facilitate these focus groups and dig in more into that. And so how are we gonna do that? So we're gonna work a lot, say with the Multicultural Center, for example, who um, they're in touch with a lot of our identity-based student organizations that can give some of these identity-based perspectives. Groups like UNITE, which is our, um, our Latinx uh, employee resource group, uh, the, the Black Professional Network, Black Faculty Network. You know, luckily we have, you know, the new um, Neurodiversity Professional Network. So going to a lot of those entities where we already have members of these identity groups to say, hey, let's just have a conversation that we just happen to be recording and taking notes on about <laughs> your, your experiences and, and why you think that some of these groups may have, have said these things. And so that is gonna be used to corroborate with the, the quantitative data. And then from there we'll have in conjunction with the action plans from all of the diversity and inclusion councils, a comprehensive strategic plan for diversity, equity and inclusion for the university that we will be able to use for the next three years until we reassess again. Um, yeah, starting in the spring semester, in, even if we have to do them by Zoom, we're just gonna do them by Zoom. Not all institutions do this. So I really commend UNT for even, um, for even going down this path of hearing what the experiences of our communities are. Um, and I say our communities are and our one big UNT community is so that we can um, be a more caring and intentionally inclusive and equitable institution. Well, I'm wondering too, in, in your experience, do you find that it's difficult to get people to be completely honest about their feelings on these different topics? And are you able to tell if maybe they're holding back a little bit? That's a great question. You know, we are in the middle right now of our um, our most comprehensive uh, learning and development series that we have called Inclusion, Equity, and Community Building. Um, and it's five modules. It's, it's um, 20 hours. Um, we've become a little family. 
um, because you know you're really unearthing all of your stuff. And what I will say is that when you are able to create safe and brave spaces that are facilitated by diversity and inclusion practitioners, and I think that's the other thing too. You know, I think I've I've literally heard people say this to me. Well. This must not be so hard to do since it's mainly people of color that are doing it. Um, this is a practice, <laughs> there's training <laughs> that comes with that. And I think when you are able to facilitate dialogue, you know, not just training, but dialogue where people are learning from each other's lived experiences. I'm getting a warm fuzzy just thinking about it. It's I mean, there are some people that I think when we first start, they're like, I don't know about this, but by the end of it, it's amazing. And that's the other thing that, I, that, that, I, that I'm glad you asked, that I think people think that doing just a one and done diversity training does it. Like I did my requisite training, I've checked my box and I'm fixed. This is a journey. <laughs> You change an institution by engaging in this dialogue and these awareness opportunities in an ongoing fashion. And the reality is, while some people don't like that we have mandatory training, I can't tell you how many friends I've actually made um, across UNT of people that have been in our trainings and are like, huh, I actually want to talk more about this stuff. What else you got? <laughs> people often tell us, particularly people who may have engaged in diversity and inclusion training in the 20th century, where it was beat you over your beat you over the head and you know make you feel guilty for being white or male or straight, or we don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's more about we all have have relative privilege, we all have meaningful lived experiences from which we can all learn. And let's just talk, like, let's just start with a conversation and provide people opportunities for self-reflection and, and critical self-reflection and thinking about how their own identities and the manifestation of those identities, how they show up in the, the learning and working environment. And that's what's really gonna make UNT, um, you know, I, I feel like, and, and I've said this to, to many people, UNT is really at the precipice of really having a, a, a really amazing breakthrough, I think. Thank you for listening to UNT Pod. To learn more about the Campus Inclusion Climate Survey and to view the October 12th webinar, please see the links in our show notes. Don't forget to stay connected with us on Twitter at UNT Social and on Instagram at UNT. Until next time, be safe.